I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, you've not had to sing anything today. You've not had to do anything. Uh, so I'm going to make you stand. And we're going to read God's word today. Um, we're in Galatians chapter 5, and you're going to see the words on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. You may be seated. So I've, uh, for those of you who are new here today, uh, I didn't start here until around February. And uh, my family's been back and forth. So I do want to say a thank you. Um, this last weekend, or this weekend, I guess still this weekend, it's been a busy couple days, uh, we finally were able to move my family down here permanently from Wisconsin to Portage. So we're officially residents here. So yeah. But I do want to thank, there was a crew of people that showed up at, uh, at our house uh, the other day on Friday that just knocked it out of the park. What took us about an, a day and a half to do, to load up in Racine, Wisconsin, took about 20 minutes to unload down here. And it's because of so many people that showed up. So I just want to say thank you very much uh, for the way that you express your love for us. And uh, that helped us out tremendously. So thank you uh, for those of you who are a part of that. So I've been, um, I've been in pastoral ministry now for two, uh, 23 years, 23 years. Uh, and today, I can say to you with confidence that one of the reasons that I'm still standing here today is some of the people that God has put into my life, uh, some very important people who've spoken into my life. Uh, people, for instance, like my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, uh, who happen to be here this weekend with us, uh, Shelly's parents, um, my, and I'm not trying to earn brownie points, so just so you know, but... Uh, uh, my father-in-law has been a model to me in ministry, and uh, he's seen a ton more ministry than I have. He's retired now, but seemingly somehow still figures out how to minister to people in, uh, in various ways, including me. And so I very much appreciate them, but he's seen some of the same things I do. You can't really serve in ministry for a long, long time without seeing a whole lot of things come down the pike. Uh, the big thing in the church world is if you're a pastor, you're supposed to grow your church. The church is supposed to grow. The church is supposed to grow. And so over the years, there's all kinds of things that come down the line. You know, here's this program. Every church should be doing this program. Or this is, here's the right way to do worship. Or here's, here's the right stuff that you should be doing. And some things work. Some things don't. Some things are gimmicks. And some things aren't. Uh, but it's all kind of designed. You see a lot of things come down the pipe. Well, back in 2000, I was introduced to a guy named Christian Schwartz. He's a German guy, and uh, he did something different. And I'll be honest, I learned probably more from that man than I ever did from any church growth thing or all this other stuff. He did something called natural church development, and it had to do with church health. And so what he did is actually in the 1990s conducted the largest ever survey of evangelical churches ever done in the entire world. And it was a massive, massive project. And what he did was he, through that project, discovered the eight characteristics of a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? 
I think all of us, if we're tuned into any kind of news today, know that there's a lot of unhealth in the church world. Okay? So what does a healthy church look like? And uh, this is just really incredible. Some of the things that came up, you would assume just because it's church, like vibrant worship was one of the key characteristics of a healthy church. Uh, strong preaching and teaching was a characteristic of a, a healthy church. Really, really good community. In other words, really active discipleship life groups kind of a thing. That was important for the health of a church. But there's one characteristic that popped up that even he, Christian Schwartz, was really surprised by, and it was joy. These healthy churches were characterized by the presence of joy in that church. Nearly 70% of the churches that marked this agreed with the statement, there's a lot of laughter in our church. Now, it didn't say at whose expense that laughter came about by, okay? But there was a lot of laughter. In those churches, people shared joy with one another, even if there was a crisis going on or if there was some kind of a source of stress going on. Pastoral transitions are stressful times, right? You guys didn't know what you were getting, okay? So, I mean, that's just stress built in, and there's drama, and there's financial issues, all kinds of different stuff. Regardless, those healthy churches somehow were able to express joy even in the midst of those times. So it's one of the primary characteristics of a healthy church. It makes sense if you think about it. And so that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to ask you to think about it. I want you to think about a moment of joy in your own life. And so I don't do this every week, but you might have gotten one of these sheets of paper as you came in. You don't need it. But uh, on one side of it says, my joy moment. And so this is what I want to ask you to do. I want, you to, I want to just ask you to think right now about a moment in your life where you think, yeah, that was a moment of pure joy. A moment of pure joy. And then I want you to write that down. It may take you a few minutes to think through what, what is that moment. I'm going to help you here in a second. But, but what is, and I'm going to write mine down right now. I'm going to do it with you. And I'll share this with you here in a bit. Okay? I'll share with you my joy, my joy moment. Now, hang with me here. As you're thinking about what you might write down, would you do me a favor? Don't make it a sports moment. As, as, as misty-eyed as so many of you got when Rizzo pocketed that ball in his back pocket after he caught it a few years ago for the Cubs in the World Series, I get it. I might have gotten a little misty-eyed, too, as I was watching TV. Okay, let's go a little deeper, all right? What, what is that joy moment? What does it look like? Let me help you. Joy, joy is different. It, it's a kind of a certain kind of a contentment. And so on the screen, I want you to see some synonyms to kind of help you think through this a little bit. So joy is bliss. It's a satisfaction. It's a comfort. It's also a delight. It's also an ex experience of elation. So it's, joy is very complex. It's multifaceted. It's multifaceted. But as a fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand what it is because that's who we are. We are to be, be, be people of the fruit of the Spirit who are expressing these in our lives. So here's the interesting thing about joy. Joy can be present even if the circumstances that are going on in our lives might not be ideal. Joy is different. Contentment, not hindered by outside circumstances. 
So write it down. What was your joy moment? Where were you? What was the situation? Who was there with you in that moment? Why was it joyful? What was that moment for you? So in this series, we've been allowing the fruit of the Spirit laid out in Galatians chapter 5 to help us understand, us as a church, who we are. Real life. Real life. It's the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In other words, we want to be able to point to this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We want to be able to point to that and say, this is us. If the world looks at our church and says, well, what is, what is love? We can say, well, you look at us. This is us. We're love. Who are you as a church? We're peace. That's who we, this is who we are. And it takes some work to get there. We're going to talk about that. But again, a, a quick quick reminder, uh, we are a people marked by joy. And I, I actually talked to you about joy not long after I came in February. If you want to learn more about that, you can kind of go back online and, and take a look at that. But, but a quick reminder, these fruit that we see in this passage, all that, that big list of fruit, are a byproduct of something else. They're a byproduct. We don't produce these fruit. You do not produce these fruit. The Holy Spirit produces this fruit in us as we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that key word there is surrender. We've got to let go and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to produce these things in us. If you're surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit, these attributes will come out. Here's where we landed two weeks ago. It's on the screen. The evidence of this fruit, love, joy, peace, all of it, the evidence of that is going to be manifested, and you're going to see those things play out in your relationships. In your relationships. Or you're not going to see them play out in your relationships. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, it's actually a letter to a church. And the church in Galatia was struggling. They were having a hard time. There was division in the church. There were comparisons in the church. There was backbiting and gossip and all kinds of fighting going on in the church. It was super classy. Okay? It was, that, that's just kind of where they were. So ultimately, the bigger problem, though, is that their witness to the world around them was being hampered because they were treating each other like trash. They just weren't treating each other well. In fact, Jesus at one point in his ministry said, to the, said, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love each other, which has always been an intriguing passage to me because as I read that, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another, at least insinuates in my mind that almost Jesus is turning to the world and saying, all right, world, listen up. You get to be the judge. Take a look at these people who are behind me who say that they're my followers, and you get to determine whether they're really my followers by how they're treating one another. He's almost putting the, 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 the cards in the hands of the world and saying the world gets to judge you. The world gets to judge me on whether or not we're true followers of Jesus by how we treat each other. Are we any different than the world is? Are we any different? Why in the world would the world want what the church is selling if the church isn't even buying what it's selling? Okay. They were failing. That church in Galatia were failing to let God work through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. So take today's fruit, for example, the fruit of joy. A healthy Christian, a healthy church full of the interpersonal relationships will exude joy. So the lack of joy then would indicate something, right? It would indicate a lack of health. 
It's, it's not a matter of saying, you know, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to produce more joy in my life. That's not how that works. It's actually a matter of waking up in the morning and saying, all right, Lord, what do I need to surrender in my life so that the Holy Spirit can produce more joy in me? And joy is really, really tricky. So let me say a couple things before we go on. I don't pretend to know your pain. I don't know your hurts. I'm still learning, <laughs> most of you, all your first name, okay? I, I don't know your life story. I don't know the trauma maybe you've experienced in your life. I don't know the thing that you're going through right now that maybe nobody else knows that you're going through right now. It's just a weight on you. I don't know what those things are, but they just kind of suck the life out of you. Those situations and those experiences uh, that you've had, they're joy suckers, okay? They suck the joy right out of you, and I know because I've been there and sometimes still go there, where the reality is, is there's something going on in life, and it's so easy to trade out joy for frustration or discouragement or resentment or anger or any of the above. Our temptation is to replace joy with other things. Yet what I'm seeing from this passage and what I'm understanding from the Apostle Paul is this. Joy is not the exception for a Christian. It's the norm. The normal Christian life is one of joy during all situations, regardless if they're good or not which sounds really, really cold for me to say. One of the challenges of communal life, of body life, is balancing true biblical encouragement, you know, uh, find your joy in the Lord, your strength in the Lord, God's grace is sufficient to meet all of your needs, all of these Pinterest-worthy Instagram-y things, you know, that you can put online. Balancing that with the reality that, you know, life sometimes is so tough, like you don't want any more kind of it because, because it's so bad. Like you don't have words to describe how you feel right now because of some of the things that are going on. And life is rough and life is hard. It's hard to strike that kind of a balance between this is the truth, but we also know that the truth exists in tandem with the fact that life is so difficult. Life is so hard. And so, I mean, how encouraging is it when you're going through the dark night of the soul, when, when you're, you're in that moment where you received that diagnosis, or you're in that moment when this is literally the big, bad milestone moment of your life, and somebody walks up to you and says, well, don't you remember what Scripture says? James 1, 2 through 4, says this, believer, consider it pure joy, my brothers, and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Doesn't that just make you feel warm inside? Aren't you so excited when you're going through that and somebody comes up at you and says, suck it up, see? You're supposed to consider it pure joy when your life's going to pot. It's hard, isn't it? This is hard. Joy, it seems intangible, and we want to hang on to something, don't we? We want to put our hands on something, but joy seems fleeting. It seems intangible, and I think one of the reasons is because we confuse joy with happiness. Listen closely. Happiness is situational. Things make you happy. 
people make you happy sometimes. Sometimes they don't, but people make you happy. Things make you happy. Joy is different. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is present in circumstances that don't bring happiness. Joy springs from something else. And so I just want to write down, and, and it's in your outline, you'll see it on the screen, what I think is probably one of the most basic, simple, biblical definitions of joy. I did not come up with it. It's a really smart guy from a long time ago named Tertullian. Okay, you see it on the screen. His, he said, your joy is where your hope is. That is so smart. Your joy is where your hope is. So the natural question then is, what are you putting your hope in today? What are you putting your hope in today? When your hope is in God, and when we desire what He desires, we have joy regardless of the circumstances, which, again, how many of you have a problem with that? I'll raise my hand because I do sometimes. I want my circumstances to be better. And then I'll be feeling pretty good. But true biblical joy transcends circumstances. You know, talking about joy, and I get this. Listen, I know that in a room this size, there are people that are carrying a weight. I know. You're in a situation, you cannot see the light on the other side. You do not know how this is going to play out. I know talking about those things and then throwing out things like James 1, 2 through 4 stings so much. I get that. Quoting a passage doesn't sweep real life under the rug, does it? Which reveals something else that Paul understood about the fruit of the Spirit. This is so important. We talked about this two weeks ago. These are not just personal qualities. This isn't just, oh, rich is a person of joy. This is we we experience joy together. The presence or lack of joy in our lives is revealed in our interactions with others. So that communal aspect, that's really obvious with the other fruit of the Spirit, love. I mean, we talked about that two weeks ago. We love other people unconditionally, no matter what, all those kinds of different things. And then the reality of peace, patience, kindness, those are all really easy to relate to experiencing with one another. Uh, but the bottom line is joy is a little bit different. And, and I'll admit to you, I've struggled with this sermon. Um, there's all kinds of factors that come into play, but happiness is not joy. And it's hard because I want to talk about happiness. Happiness isn't joy. Money, success, status, age, gender, ethnicity, physical health, all these different things don't have any significant correlation to true biblical joy. What it is linked to very often is relationships. Relationships. It's exposed as a fruit in the context of a relationship. In other words, joy flows. It's active. It flows. You and I are wired to experience joy, but a connection is required for that joy to be experienced. I want you to think about it. What do, what do people say are joyful moments? You maybe wrote one of them down on your sheet. Why do we have things called birthday parties? Why do we have anniversary celebrations? Why do we have family reunions? We like to commemorate our moments of joy with other people, right? We invite other people into those massive moments of joy in our lives. 
There, it, it's not reserved for self. It's shared. It's expressed in relationships just like all the other fruit. Now, think back of the joy moment that I asked you to remember. I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that whatever you wrote down on your piece of paper, there were other people present in that moment. There were other people present in that moment. Now, if there were not other people present in that moment, it didn't take long for you to want to tell other people about that moment. You wanted to invite other people into that moment of joy because joy is not reserved just for us. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It always involves other people directly or sometimes indirectly. And it's the connection that allows the expressed fruit of the Spirit to come out of us. This is us. This is us. We experience joy in connection with each other until, of course, we don't. We don't. Which is why Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. They'd, they'd misplaced their hope, is the, really the bottom line of it. And, and therefore, they're not expressing joy with each other. And in fact, when Paul's writing them this letter, they didn't really like Paul that much anymore either. Okay, Paul, he originally went at, at the beginning of that church, and he wrote this in Galatians 4.13. We get a little background into Paul's relationship to the churches in Galatia. He said, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, of Christ Jesus, as Christ Jesus. I don't know what his ailment is, but I'm going to guess it was his eyes because of what he says here in just a minute. But the point he's making here is, despite his health issues and all these other things, he ministered alongside with them. He was a brother in Christ with them. Just amazing things. But then listen to what he says next in verses 15 and 16. Well, what now has become of your blessedness? In other words, where's your joy? I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Something happened. Something broke. Paul and the Galatian believers had some kind of a relational breakdown, and it was seen in their lack of joy, their lack of blessedness. Their attitudes, their actions were based on circumstances and, and therefore changed when Paul ended up telling them what they didn't want to hear. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it changed when their circumstances changed. In other words, their hope was on something that it shouldn't have been on. Their hope had been misplaced. Joy was a fruit that was no longer on display in their lives. A relationship had been damaged, and the joy was replaced. So clearly, it seems that joy and relationships go hand in hand. I mean, haven't you experienced that in a relationship? I can absolutely guarantee that every single person in this room has experienced a relationship that's gone south. Every single one of us, there's a breakdown, there's a hurtful word, there's some kind of a misunderstanding. Listen, if Shelly and I are at odds with each other about something, I don't enjoy anything. Okay? It's not because she makes me not enjoy anything, it's just something's off, right? And I got to fix it. And usually I'm the one that's got to fix it, okay? Because it's usually me. But I don't enjoy anything. The point being is, is you know, it's surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to have joy. And it's expressed that way. Clearly, it is expressed in relationships. It's true professionally. How many of you have ever wanted to quit a job? Well, don't raise your hands yet. <laughs> people in the back raising your hands. 
How many of you ever wanted to quit a job? Hang on. Not because of the job, but because of the people you had to work with. Okay, we, don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to the person you work with either. So that's, okay. Um, I mean, we, we get this, right? This, this makes sense. And here's what I know. If that's true at home, and if it's true at work or school or wherever we are, it's most certainly true in the church. It's most certainly true in the church. When we are connected to God and each other by the Holy Spirit, joy flows into and out of our lives. And if our hope is placed on the right thing, it flows more easily. It flows more easily. It is surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit that allows that to happen. I discovered if you go through the Gospels and you look at the moments where Jesus kind of perked up and you almost see joy beginning to come out, it always has to do with people. It has to do with a little short guy, Zacchaeus, who is so excited to see Jesus, doesn't want to miss, I don't know if he was that short, that's an awful short guy, but I, you know, but he's so excited to see Jesus, doesn't want to miss Jesus, but there's a huge crowd, so what does he do? He climbs up a tree just so he can see Jesus, and as Jesus is walking through the crowd, he sees the guy in the tree, he's like, man, all right, come down, man, I'm going to your house for dinner. You're, you're the guy. And they're just overflowing with joy. Or you've got a situation where uh, a, a Roman soldier who understands Jesus' authority comes to Jesus and says, you don't need to come to my ill servant's house to heal him. Just say the word, and I believe that you will have healed him. And Jesus looks around and says, hey, everybody pay attention because this guy gets it. This guy gets it. This is a man of faith. Or the woman who had no business bothering a rabbi had such love for her sick daughter and confidence in Jesus that she, she, she just says, please, and, and he says, your faith has made her well, go. Those are the moments that I think created joy outwardly in Jesus' life. Then you got the 12 disciples, men who shared three years with Jesus, men who did more wrong things than they did right things when they were with Jesus, and on his final night, Jesus looks across the table to them, and he says this in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But then here it is. The things that I've spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment. What does he say? That you love one another as I have loved you. And there it is, right from the mouth of Jesus. The correlation between joy and love of one another. People. It was about people who revealed the joy of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. People coming to faith, people growing in faith, people living by faith. He wants that same joy of the fruit flowing from you and I as well. It is a joy that is born out of a right, right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And the question then becomes, are you experiencing joy today? Again, your joy is whatever you're putting your hope in. That's where it springs from. So what are you putting your hope in today? I think that statement reveals to us this morning that if, if I lack this fruit in my life, there's probably something in my life that I need to surrender that I have a tendency to put my hope in. What is that thing?
Is it a job? Is it a relationship? A drug? Is it a diagnosis? Is it money? Is it a president? A politician? A platform? What is it? Is it yourself? What thing do you point your hope to today that you need to reallocate to Jesus? Because whatever it is, that is going to actually steal your joy. And that's not what God desires for you. It's not what God desires for you. True joy is only experienced in Jesus, and it manifests itself in relationships with others. Can I talk to you about my moment of joy? Is that all right? Um, I shared with you, um, I've shared with you before, and I talk about this, and sometimes I wonder if I talk about it too much, but it's my story. My, uh, both of my parents have passed away. My mom passed away in um, November of 2011. My dad passed away in April of 2018. And uh, going back, when it comes to my mom, my mom had, had a lot of health issues. When she passed away, she was only 56. And um, she had had breast cancer, and she'd had some other illnesses. Uh, but it seemed like everything was kind of under control. But then uh, about three weeks before she passed away, she was having some pretty significant abdominal pain. So my dad had ended up taking her to the hospital down in Illinois. And um, throughout that week, they ran tests, did different things. And I drove down there from Wisconsin. And I was there the day in the hospital room when the doctor came in uh, to tell my mom that she had cancer again and that it had returned and it had metastasized to her liver. And uh, if any of you know anything about cancer that metastasizes to your liver, that's not a good thing. And uh, um, her liver was full of tumors and lesions. And so in that room, and I've been in enough hospital rooms to know what was going on, you know, I, there was communication and the doctor did a good job. You know, we're, you know, we need to, you know, talk to an oncologist. We need to do this. We need to do that. And he was expressing himself saying, you know, this is kind of a grave situation. And it went right over my parents' head. My, my mom said, well, I beat breast cancer. I'll beat this one too. It's like, well, you go, mom. I mean, you know, she, she was confident, you know, and my dad kind of was in that camp as well. And uh, they weren't hearing what he was saying. And that night, after they got discharged, and then I drove back up to Wisconsin, I remember sitting down with Shelly at the dining room table when I pulled in and said, this is it. This is it. And um, over the course of the next two weeks, mom went, met with an oncologist. They came up with a treatment plan, all kinds of different stuff. But then there was the day that came where my mom called me on the phone, crying, saying, Rich, they just told me that there's nothing that they can do. I said, I know, I know. I'll bring the boys down this weekend and Shelly. And so we did, we drove down there on a Thursday. And uh, on Thursday, we spent some time with them. And then on Friday, we made the hard decision of having hospice come into the house. And uh, Shelly took the boys to a park and my dad and I and my mom met with the hospice nurses. And they brought a bed in, set it up in the living room. And... Uh, as a part of all of that, um, my mom had become very jaundiced by that point, and she didn't, she hadn't looked in the mirror, so she didn't know, and it just became really a very sobering day, 
where it was the reality that this was only going to be a few days. And um, she was given another prescription. My dad went and I went and got that, and different things took place during the rest of the day. And then that night, uh, my dad took my mom up to uh, her room and then came back downstairs and said that my dad said, she wants to talk to you. So over the, the course of my Christian walk, I'd shared my faith with my parents, um, trying to walk them across that line too. And uh, my parents, I wish everybody could have met them. Uh, my mom in particular, I mean, the wall was up. I mean, Rich, that's great for you. You come closer to me, I'll walk backwards. So it was very, my, my parents were very prideful people. I don't know where I got it from. Uh, but, you know, there's very, it just the wall was up. And they'd heard me preach. They'd heard me talk too much like you're hearing me talk. And just all that kind of different stuff took place. And so I went up and I laid on the bed next to my mom. And she cried. And I cried. And um, in the process of that, she said, this isn't fair. My, my grandkids aren't going to remember who I am when they get older. I said, I know. I know. This isn't, it's not fair, is it? It's not fair. Miss my mom every day. It's not fair. And then we talked a little bit more. And then, out of nowhere, my mom and I had an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And my mom made a commitment. I prayed with her, got up, went downstairs, and so as I'm going down the stairs, you have to walk through the living room to get to the kitchen. And everybody was in the living room. As I came down the stairs, I, I walked through the living room, and I, had, I was looking at Shelly like this. Like, that's the, please follow me into the other room look. <laughs> Because I had to tell somebody. And in, in that moment, joy. I'm a control guy. I'm a guy who relies on myself. I have a list. I, I'm in charge of everything. <laughs> and there was nothing in my life, nothing in that situation I was in charge of anymore. And I couldn't depend upon myself to fix this situation. I was trying to take care of my dad, manage his emotions. I was trying to take care of my kids, manage theirs, my wife, my brother, my sister, their families. Here I was, because I'm the oldest, I'm self-appointed in charge. And so I, I'm trying to do all of this stuff in this moment where I'm losing this woman. I'm losing this woman that I'm so close to and I love so much. But yet, unexplainable. In the middle of it all, in that kitchen in Washington, Illinois, just joy, like fall on the ground, kind of just joy. And I just, I, Shelly and I hugged each other and wept. And I'm sure everybody in the other room wondered what was going on. And yes, I was losing my mom, but in that moment and in the next few days before she passed away, I had joy. I had joy because my, my hope was not built on anything temporal at that moment. And I knew that my mom's wasn't either. And my mom's wasn't either. And I had the privilege of knowing too 
later on that my dad, my dad went and bragged to people at work. My wife got saved. <laughs> I mean, it just, she wasn't even quiet about it. She told her husband about it. Because that's the nature of joy. You've got to find somebody else to tell about that situation. Can I just challenge you in the days ahead? In the days ahead to think about laying down some of the temporal things that we tend to place our hope in and instead place it solely and completely on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We all have areas of growth, myself included. Myself included. Make this a matter of prayer, matter of conversation with other people. One of the best things that you could ever do is there's a list of questions on the back side of this stuff. Sit down with somebody else and just talk about them. Talk about it. What do you place your hope in? If it's in, if it's in anything else, admit it. There's no crime in admitting it. Talk about it. Talk through those things. And may the fruit of joy. I'm so jealous for our church. And I, I see it. It's so exciting to be part of a church where joy flows through the relationships in the body. And if you've not experienced it, it's one of the most beautiful examples of the kingdom of God there is, is when the joy just flows amongst us. May the fruit of joy increase in our lives. Joy is who we are. This is us. This is us. Would you stand with me? Father, today I just lift up this body of believers and, and those that are participating online right now too, Father. I just pray that they would sense your spirit with them today. And I know we're talking about joy, we're talking about all that, but the reality is, is people are dealing with real life issues and, and stresses and pain and hurt and illness and sickness. And Father, there may even be somebody who's facing death. But in the midst of that, we do not mourn, we do not grieve, we do not handle things as though we have no hope. We have a hope today in the one who actually beat death. He rose from the dead. And he did it all to provide redemption for us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Oh, Jesus Christ died for my sin. And I'm so grateful today for what you've done in my life. I'm grateful for what you're doing and have done in the lives of the people who call this their church home. And what a privilege it is to be a real-life community church. What an awesome privilege it is. And today, Father, we honor you, we glorify you, we thank you for being with us. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. If you're new here today, those contact cards, those connect cards are so important. It gives us the opportunity to connect with you. If you'd fill one of those out, you can drop it in the bucket in the back. That'd be fantastic. Thanks.